Between the Lines with Virtual Academy. We all have a story to tell. Hey guys, Chris Carden here, host of Between the Lines, sponsored by Virtual Academy. And I tell you what, it's a beautiful, beautiful day down here in Gulf Shores, Alabama. Got audio producer all around Heck of a good guy, Mr. Brent Henson with me today. How are you, Brent? I'm well. How are you, Chris? You know, if I was any better, I wouldn't be able to stand myself, I don't think. <laughs> I am looking forward to today's episode because uh, I was doing some background information on our uh, guest today, and I think he's going to have uh, some interesting stories to tell. I hope so. He better. I mean, because the check's already cleared. He does. So he doesn't, <laughs> you know. So joining us today, we got a couple of cool guys, one of which is actually one of the regional directors for Virtual Academy. His name is Jimmy McLeod. Uh, he's a former police chief over in Batesville, Mississippi. He does not say Mississippi. He says Mississippi. Jimmy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. And it is Mississippi. It is Mississippi. Okay. All right. Long as we're straight on that. And also Mississippi's legend, Mr. Thomas Tuggle. How are you, Thomas? I'm doing great, sir. Thank you so much for having me. We're glad to have you. We're glad you're here. You got some uh, big news, right? You're, uh, you hit a milestone in your career recently, didn't you? Yes, sir. Uh, 30 years of uh, continuous law enforcement service. Holy cow. 30 years. How long did you do, Jimmy? I had 29 a quarter. Yeah, so I had right at 29. I bought a year in my military, and I had 25 serving. But tell us a little bit about your experience. Now, I know you started in the United States Marine Corps, so let's go back to that. How old? How old were you? When you joined the Corps? I, I was 17 years old. I had to get my mom and my dad to uh, sign the papers. <laughs> 1987. 1987? 1987. Good grief. I was 17. I, I, I was old. still. Uh, wow. So you went to uh, Paris Island or you went out to California? That's the only one. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought they did one That's, out in California. Yeah. Too. <laughs> Paris Island is where they train Marines. Uh, San Diego is where they teach them how to act like Marines. Ah, well, appreciate you straightening me out. I'm an Army guy, so he's he's already got me in his sights. You went to group uh, training on the island, scraping off the sand fleas, and then you went where? Well, I graduated, of course, with honors. Um, you know, my thing is, you know, like you go into any basic training, whether it be military or um, law enforcement, you know, if you're going to get in, you get all in. And when I arrived at Paris Island, I didn't drink a gallon of the Kool-Aid. I think I had the whole bucket. So I accepted the doctrine that they were trying to instill and didn't resist. So I, I did very well uh, there and graduated with honors and uh, was meritorious promoted. And they sent me to California, Camp Pendleton, California, to be uh, a field environment. So instead of them sending me straight to my MOS school, they sent me to 29 Palms to learn my MOS OJT. And I was out there for about four or five months. And then they sent me to school. So when they sent me to my MOS school, of course, I'd already learned the job. So I graduated top of my class and was meritorious promoted again. Uh, and then returned back to the unit uh, there on base at Camp Pendleton. And they shipped me to Hawaii. Didn't want to go. I was enjoying California. I was trying my best to figure out how can I not go to Hawaii. But when I got to Hawaii, I'm glad I didn't kick my heels up too hard. I was going to say, there's a lot There's a lot going in on Hawaii. So, But, but Chris, the, the, the strangest thing about it is um, we got to Hawaii. I learned all this stuff about installing switchboards and cable systems and everything. And they sent me to an artillery unit where the most advanced piece of equipment was a set of headphones like you have on your ear and a piece of wire. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, that makes perfect sense. You know, with the uh, military, you know. Fleecing of America, huh? <laughs> Spending $500 for a hammer. The lowest bidder gets the contract. You find Absolutely. that across the board. Uh, you and I chewed some of the same dirt back in 91. Desert yes, Storm. Yes, sir. We talked about that earlier. Got out uh, and you joined the uh, not just any highway patrol. The Mississippi Highway Patrol. No, there's a little gap in between there. Um, okay, fill uh, us in. Yes, sir. A- actually, I was not going to leave the Marine Corps because I was promoted four times in less than four years. So I had a very, very good career going. But uh, something about combat would change your outlook on life. And it's something still to this day is very serious to me about it. A lot of people didn't realize that I had combat experience because that's not something you walk around and talk about. But, Chris, I have to give the Marine Corps a lot of credit and also the Army, all the military services. You see what's happening in the world today. Uh, The Marine Corps does a very, very good job of preparing you for war, combat. And, And what they do is you train so realistically that when we arrived in the desert, we were in a war. But, Chris, and you may understand this, but it still felt like training. So it wasn't until... We had been in country uh, for about two weeks doing some operations, uh, going up to the, uh, the border, you know, firing off some volleys. But when the commanding officer stood up on that Humvee, and this is the air campaign was pretty much done. They had ran out of targets. It's time to physically remove this guy from that country. And the CO stood up on the Humvee and, and he gave the speech. And he said, guys, he said, we're going through the breach. Uh, I want you to look to your left, look to your right. We're going to lose some people. Prepare your mindset for war. And I, you know, we all comprehend it. That means take your dog tag, one put in your boot, you know, put that one there and the other one, go back. And then he said, go back to your fighting hole and I want you to write down what you want said at your funeral. In other words, write your own eulogy. And it was at that moment that I realized then, I said, this is serious. But I looked to my left and I looked to my right and I disagreed with the CO. We're not gonna lose anybody. It's either we're gonna lose everybody or we're not gonna lose anybody. So I went back in my fighting hole and had a young Lance Corporal that was in the fighting hole with me. And, and uh, we got down and I started writing. I'm a good old country boy. He was from Virginia. I'm not saying he's a country boy, but we're very spiritual here. And I sat down and I said, you know, dear mama, sound like a Tupac song. I said, um, <laughs> I said, you know, thank my high school teacher. And I went down this list and finally I stopped and I just got on my knees and I started praying. And I said, God, I don't know how I ended up here. I said, but if you get me through this. I promise you there's something else in life I will find and I will do. I said, but I need you to put your hands over me. I need you to protect me. And I sat there and said that prayer for about a good five minutes, just sitting on my knees. And a lot of it was just reflecting. And that Lance Corporal sitting there and he was scared. I mean, you could see the fear in his eye because we were going across the breach uh, in about 12 hours. Well, got up, got that done, folded the letter up, Chris, and I was done. The war started. Boom, we were going and we were kicking butt and taking names. And uh, we got on the outskirts of the uh, airport, which our objective was to secure the airport, and things were done. Got back to Hawaii, I went to the career planner and said, sir, if you can send me to Paris Island, South Carolina, be a drill instructor, I'll reenlist. He said, I can send you to San Diego to be one. I fulfilled my promise to God and I left the United States Marine Corps in 1991. And then I joined the Hernando Police Department in 1992. So that was that gap before okay. I joined the patrol. So. I went to work for a little small municipality just in DeSoto County. I worked there for four years. Now, they sent me to the academy and graduated and went back and gave some service. And then there was a trooper that was killed in the county named Bubba Wells, a good friend of mine, and he died doing something he loved to do, and that was uh, working accidents and, and, and removing DUI drivers off the interstate. And I said, I'm going to try that highway patrol thing out. And in 1996 is when I became a trooper. 
Is uh, is that similar to like uh, Alabama? It's a pretty, or there used to be a pretty big pay jump going from like municipal law enforcement into a state patrol. Is it is it that well, way in Mississippi? Unfortunately, it's not. Okay, it wasn't a big pay jump. I think yeah. uh, shifting responsibilities, but and it was more of a pride thing. And but I've always been a local law enforcement kind of guy. Yes, I enjoyed being a highway patrolman, a trooper, but the majority of my career has been uh, serving people like Chief McLeod and 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 police chiefs across the state and sheriffs training their people. It wasn't hard for police chiefs to accept me because technically in Mississippi, I was one of them. Amen. Yeah. I know that uh, kind of across the board that you'll you'll hear a lot of people that are in the trooper world say, you know, the best troopers are the guys that have been out and worked, you know, municipal law enforcement, worked that night shift and, you know, been on at some sheriff's office or something. Jamie, what's your experience with Thomas Tuggle there. How, now, how did you meet him? When we first met, I was working at uh, Basel PD because I started in 93. And, of course, Colonel uh, was actually uh, still in, in local law enforcement. And then, of course, I had a tie because my dad worked 34 years with the Mississippi Highway Patrol. So I grew up in the Highway Patrol household and the Highway Patrol family. Then one Colonel worked the roads and then he went to the academy. So we bumped into each other our whole careers. First of all, you know, Colonel, I want to thank you for your service to the country, whether it be on another land or here, you've served this country your entire life, and thank you. And I'm going to tell you, my career was a blessing to me, and it's continued to be a blessing post-retirement uh, back in this next phase, and I congratulate you on your where you've been, what you've been through, and man, you're just an, you're an awesome guy to rub shoulders with, and I'm glad to know you. And, but Chris, we've worked together um, off and on our whole careers. Even in the last year and a half, which I've been on Borough Versal Academy, so there's not much in the last 30 years I can't connect with Lieutenant Colonel. Yeah, Mississippi Highway Patrol, uh, one of the largest customers of Virtual Academy in the state of Mississippi. So we're excited about that partnership, of course. So, Thomas, one of the things I found in doing some research is that the Mississippi Highway Patrol Academy is a pretty tough school. I mean, it's if you get to reading online, it's I mean, they really put you through it. Tell us a little bit about that. What if I'm some young kid in Mississippi and I want to be a trooper? What what can I expect? It's pretty grueling, you know, and it's it's, it's uh, very challenging physically. The physical part makes the academic part somewhat challenging because you don't have a lot of time to to prepare yourself. It may come as a shock to a lot of people. I wasn't a big fan of the extreme physical requirements. I just think that there's still a point. You know, there's some recovery needed. And I think that you'll see going forward now, they have a new training director uh, that actually work uh, with local law enforcement training. Uh, he's over there now and he understands the value of uh, being able to, what's called rest and recovery. But uh, yes, it is a, it's an extremely grueling program. And I understand why they're that, that way. Discipline, uh, you got to think, Chris, um, these guys will be given their office and that office is that patrol car. There's not a police chief or lieutenant or a sergeant telling you get out of bed and go hit the road and that kind of thing. No, you have a schedule and that schedule say you need to be out on your run at that time. So that's why they put you through that that training because, you know, your supervisor may be 40 miles away, but he expects you to be out there on that interstate or out there on that state highway doing what it is that you're supposed to be doing when you're supposed to be doing it. So I can understand the, the regimented training portion of it. Sure. The only problem that uh, if, if you ask me what would I would change, I would kind of change some of the physical training. My thing is, is um, when you want to use physical training or exercise as a tool to achieve discipline, great, I'm all for it. But at some time and point, that can be counterproductive. 
And I've learned that over the years of training. And, and that's the only thing that I can see that may be, be improved there. At some time and point, you need to start building that positive reinforcement. Hey, guys, we're stepping back because you approve. There has to be a line yes. in the sand at some point. Yeah. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm in agreement with you on that. Even back to the military, sometimes you, you know, maybe you have an overzealous guy who drank the Kool-Aid times 10. Sometimes one push-up's too many and hunter's not enough sometimes. So, yes, sir. no, I get what you're saying. You rolled out of recruit school, and I'm assuming you went to a post or a – what do they call them in Mississippi? In Alabama, they call them trooper posts. We call them districts. So yes, where did you? Where was your first district? Graduated class with honors, and uh, it was three people in that class. Uh, they had prior law enforcement. They were able to go back home. I was fortunate to be one of the uh, individuals in that class to go back home, so they sent me back to DeSoto County. And I was stationed in, in Hernando, believe it or not. So Governor wow. Fordyce was uh, uh, gracious, along with the uh, commissioner at the time, which was Jim Ingram, the late Jim Ingram. And uh, they sent me back to DeSoto County. But that came with a warning. <laughs> this is Governor Fordyce's words. So, I'm, uh, uh, Brent, you might have to edit this. But he pulled us three to size myself, a guy named Charles Harding and a guy named Larry Edwards. And Larry, all of us came back to District 3. But Governor Fordyce told us in that room, he said, you're going back up to your home county. You've already proven that you can work the road because you were a law enforcement guy before you there. But he said, I'm going to tell you, DeSoto County is, is, is leading the state in fatalities. You can go back up there, and I quote, and candy ass if you want to, you're going to find out what salt water tastes like. I had no idea what he was talking about. And someone translated that and said he was going to transfer me to the coast if I didn't go back <laughs> up there and go work. <laughs> nice. Yeah, because that was unheard of to get to go home. Now, tell yes, us, sir, it was. Get over it there was. and you crack some skulls. Some of that old school. <laughs> I like it. But you went home and um, you took your job real serious, and I'm sure you wore that campaign hat. I mean, I, I'm sitting here imagining you in a campaign hat. That would be probably pretty intimidating. I know our viewers can't see you, Thomas, but Thomas is you know, your typical fit Marine guy. So I can see you with a campaign hat on asking – Son, I need to see your license. You know, that would be terrifying. <laughs> I, I could say, yes, sir, I did. I did. We did a very good job. I wrote a lot of citations when I, when I got back up here because this county at the time, and the chief will, will tell you, still process of building casinos to our west. So there was a lot of people coming out of Memphis and Arkansas, and 61 was still somewhat being expanded. So there was a lot of fatalities over the DUI drivers. So we really had to do some work to try to lower the number of fatalities in Kansas. So yes, sir, Chris, I did do a lot of work. Uh, over in my state, the patrol does a lot of, uh, they call it click it or ticket. And it's all this government funded overtime for seat belts and DUIs and all that kind of stuff. And then the troopers, they primarily work all that. I was reading a little bit in your bio. I know that something else you and I, along with my buddy Jimmy, that we all have in common, is uh, we're all FBI National Academy grads. And I don't know if you know this, Tommy, but Jimmy McLeod and I were session mates. So we were in the oh, same session. 215. Yeah. 215, huh? The second yeah. greatest class ever. Yeah, second <laughs> one. Yeah. It was so long ago that J. Edgar Hoover gave our commencement address. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I saw that when you graduated, it says you were the first African-American to graduate the FBI National Academy as the session president. Yes, sir. That is impressive. Um, and, of course, that's something I didn't go up there trying to achieve by any sense. It was my goal to go up there and, and, and just graduate and be a participant and, and take advantage of the networking opportunities. But I don't ever use or seek to be the first in anything. I just go and be the best at what I can be. 
and and when the smoke clears wherever I land is that's it. And the chief would be to tell you that coming from an academy environment, going to an academy, the NA was not ready for Thomas Tuggle. And so uh, <laughs> when I got up there, this, these the sad door. looks on the face. No, we're not going to have that. So. I earned the nickname the locker room linebacker because I was just full of motivation and energy. And it was the only way, Chris, that I could, you know, I mean, it's the only way I knew how to get, get through the program. So I was a full enthusiasm. So, and all my classmates, uh, you know, all your foreign students, they just rallied behind me. They just wanted to be around all of that energy. And uh, I thank God for giving me that enthusiasm because I needed that to get through the program. It was, I'm a very, and a lot of people remember, I'm a very shy and quiet guy. Come on. So I have to be this way to kind of just, uh, it's like a, a shield, you know, to, to hide who I really am. But I am a very enthusiastic guy, and they rallied behind me. So I had no say-so, and you know how the process worked. I, I had no say-so. Uh, my roommate told me, he said, this is what's going to happen. We have to nominate uh, a section leader, and you're it. Tammy from Knoxville is going to nominate you, and I'm on second, then we're going to close it. I said, please, no, I have assignments I have to do. I do not need another task, you know, and they said, well, it's already been proven. So I was elected section uh, leader. You well, you know, you have to go in front of the whole session and give a speech. And I didn't like that process because we had built a unit and everybody, I mean, all 226 of us was on board. And then you have this election process where now you're uh, requiring people to, to, to express their loyalties or, you know, to somebody. And I felt that that was a divisive issue. So I went to the unit chief and said, can the staff? select the session president and just didn't work that way. So the speech I had prepared was not the speech I gave that day. The speech I gave that day just came from here right. because, and I talked about what we as law enforcement officers have to deal with daily and I didn't agree with the process. So the unit chief, he was stunned. If, you, if you'd if have had a, a camera on him, look on his face when I said, I disagree with this policy, I disagree with this process. You know, he was expecting me to give a speech. This is oh, like yeah. <laughs> shock and then anger at first, you know. And you went but I, I went on and FBI. I gave a speech. <laughs> you did something <laughs> the FBI speech. told you not to do. Yes, sir. <laughs> and uh, but I gave a very passionate speech, talked about you know how we're perceived in life, and uh, it came from the heart, and uh, it was overwhelming. They, they elected me as the session president, and I'm very grateful. And I didn't realize that I was the first person from Mississippi or African American. To graduate, I'm gonna share the story real, real quick with you, Chris. We were walking in as myself, the director James Comey at the time, and the unit chief, and I think the academy director. They had all the graduates on one side of the uh, auditorium, and we came to another door. So when I walked through, it was a lady. She had to be at least 82, 83 years old. She was handing out programs, and of course, they had on the lapel pin. And she said, "Sir, you have to go through that door." And the uh, director said, "No, ma'am, he's a guest speaker." And he's, he's a session president. And the little old lady, little old black lady, she um, looked at me and she stuck her hand out. She shook my hand, Chris, and just started crying. And she said, oh, wow. she said I used to work here since the 60s. And I, I retired, she said, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And I come back with graduations. You're the first African-American to ever give a, a session speech. And it didn't dawn on me, you know. The gravity. Man, thank you so much. Yes, sir. And then after I left there, I mean, it's just everything just hit me all at once. And. But it, it, it was uh, a crowning achievement. Being African-American uh, to graduate, yes, but also a Mississippian meant more to me also because uh, for years people look at Mississippi and Alabama. You know, we're at the bottom of the barrel when it comes to law enforcement guys. They look at us as, you know, backwoods, billies, tobacco chewing. But for the first time, we're at the top of something. 
And so every graduate from Mississippi, I, I put on my shoulder and said, I'm here representing them, which includes the chief and several others come through here. So I was very, very proud of that. I feel like picking up a rifle and heading towards the battle line with you right now, Thomas. I'm ready to re-enlist. Jimmy McLeod, grab your gun. Yeah, yeah I want to go too. <laughs> At Virtual Academy, we're helping our clients build better prepared public safety professionals by offering high-level training provided by engaging national experts. With hundreds of hours of training available instantly, Virtual Academy offers the functionality your officers need so they can train as their schedules permit. Find out how Virtual Academy can meet the needs of your agency today. Visit virtualacademy.com for a complete list of courses, training resources, and more. Virtual Academy, because you deserve more. I know that uh, you said you're finished in 260. I got a good friend who finished in 262. Uh oh. His name is Richard Wyndham, and he was from Alabama. He was there with the Attorney General's office. You know, there's 250 people in the class. I'm sh- it's hard to remember all the faces, but I was at the AG's office, and he had just gotten back from from then in 2015. So I, I remember that session. So good for you. <laughs> Again, yes. Jimmy, you were in 215 with me. I don't remember our class president. Do you? You know, Chris, I think back on those days, and there's just so, so many memories. But no, I, I don't. I, I've even wondered after this conversation, was that done in those days? I mean, it's I been a long time ago. All I really remember is, you know, every day when the, when the horse and buggy would come and we would get on it and go back to the cabins where we slept. <laughs> That's about all I remember. You went to the FBI National Academy and you've just continued that forward a progression your entire career. And I, and I know that you did that in the Marine Corps. You did that in uh, municipal law enforcement and you did that at the patrol. So your current rank is major. Is that right? No, sir. Lieutenant Colonel. I was promoted Lieutenant to Lieutenant Colonel. Colonel in 2017. Yes, sir. All right. Promoted. To, I'm sorry, sir. Lieutenant Colonel. So that's a 05. You can blame your producer for the, the, the errors and the research. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm just going off the notes that I'm provided with. <laughs> you know, the staff puts us together. Uh, so, <laughs> Lieutenant Colonel, tell me what your duties and responsibilities are. As uh, the training director of the academy of course it's the largest training academy in the state of mississippi is our job to assist police chiefs and sheriffs with training their recruits in other words exposing them to the 480 hours of the uh, required academia curriculum and making sure that you know we turn out a good product so it's our job to take a raw product and make that product better i mean they send us good people and we send them better people back so that's pretty much the, the majority of making sure that we are giving them everything that our board requires a new entry-level officer to have before he can go back and uh, effectively do his job. I started out as a coordinator and I just kind of worked my way up. The uh, most boring job I've had at the academy is the director's job. Yeah. Uh, my, my thing is, is I try to tell people all the time that you want to build people to do the job once you leave. And that's, uh, that's one of the things that I have done. So uh, that's why my job was so boring because we, we, we really trained those guys in, in to, to do the job in my absence. So most importantly, when I got into the director job, my job was to, just to secure those relationships with the chiefs and sheriffs and thank them so much for supporting our program. It's been very challenging, Chris, to start there in 98 and, and look at where the pendulum took a swing. You look at quality of recruits that are coming through now We've had to just training just to deal with those changes. So that was a, a, a hard uh, pill to swallow also. Yeah, I think law enforcement across the board is feeling that. And uh, I know there's a smaller agency in the county that I grew up in and where I policed that they got 20 openings. You know, they have like 40 sworn. They have 20 openings and they can't fill them. 
So that's that's a problem across the board. So let me ask you, Jimmy. Now I'm going to put you on the spot here, so you better be ready. I'm not going to get cut you any slack. What is your EDC or everyday carry? What kind of weapon do you carry on yourself? A Glock 43. Glock 43. What about a blade? Kershaw. Kershaw. Yeah. Mississippi's finest. All right, Thomas, what about you? What's your EDC? Well, when I'm traveling in, in plain clothes, I, I carry my Glock 43X. For the most part, it, it's going to be that 43X. Of course, I think it's a Gen 5 now, 19 Gen yeah. 5. Uh, I, I like that. I like it. Yeah, That's I do too. The sights and everything. Like yes, yeah. Sir. I got the G45, which is okay. the, you know, you know, the military 19X. It was Glock civilian version of that one. So got the front cocking serrations and all. I really like that pistol. You know, but real quick, when we talk about guns, you know, one of the guns that I, I really enjoyed and I started out my career was that Beretta 92F. I don't know if you remember that or not. Oh, the yeah. Beretta. It, it's heavy. Don't get me wrong, but back in the old days. But I liked the uh, double action first, single action out there, and it was one like of the, the best guns. Uh, yes, sir. Absolutely. It's, yeah, I got one right here in the safe, as a matter of fact. I've got one. Oh, so. okay. Yeah, and then we transitioned to the Smith and Wesson, and then when we went to Glock, I mean, really, the, that gun was so easy to shoot that it was it, it was addictive. Yeah, but, the uh, Glock is perfect for people that can't shoot because and everybody <laughs> can shoot a Glock. But in you know, I'll be honest with you, I deployed to Desert Storm from Germany, from Augsburg, Germany, and we were still carrying. This was in '91, so we were still carrying the Colt 1911, and that's what I took wow. to the desert. So, I mean, like every day I had to dig sand out of that slide and it was constant maintenance. So it really, you know, identified the reason they needed to switch to a better pistol. I don't need any 1911 people writing me emails. I love the 1911, but in a combat environment, the Beretta is a much better pistol. Let's dig in a little bit here and uh, let's tell, let's hear some, let's hear some cop stories. I know Thomas, all the years in the patrol car chases foot chases i mean there's got to be something that sticks out you'd be thinking about a story jimmy you'd be thinking about a story as well i know you're up in there in batesville everybody knows jimmy mcleod in the state of mississippi thomas have you found that out jimmy mcleod's a celebrity uh very well known i i I could say that uh, and also very well respected yeah chief thank you so much for those words earlier i really appreciate that uh we've had a great friendship i had an opportunity to work with his dad and it's just that if you look at where we are today and the friendships and the challenges that we've experienced over the years when i first joined law enforcement probably you two chris and, and chief you and look at where we are now friendships us sitting here having this conversation right now is something that i think the new generation needs to look at how can you get guys from different walks of life different perspectives different eras working different departments to come on a podcast and just kind of crack up have a good time and that's what we need more of. People see how we work well together. We can set aside our differences because in the end, we're all on the same team. That's right. That's right. Talk to me, Thomas. Tell me about, you know, maybe that first car chase or that that first crashed patrol car or whatever. I know you got some kind of story sticking out that I can tease you about. Come on. As far as car chase, the first one was uh, I was still on the FTO program. And my FTO, you know, he got in, he said, you, you know, his name was Andrew Richardson. He was my primary FTO and, and he was he was stationed in Tunica. And of course I was DeSoto. And we were at a roadblock and this guy came through and didn't stop. He said, still continue to write that ticket. We'll catch up with you. So I finished the ticket I was writing, got in the car and took off across 304. We went up through Hernando and 
course, they were trying to stop this guy, and we finally ended up stopping this guy on I-55 south of Hernando. But I had that old Crown Victoria. didn't have any bar lights across the top. had the little one light in the dashboard. And it was extremely hard to try to navigate through Hernando with no blue lights. <laughs> no one was hurt. But the thing about it is is the uh, FTO, uh, he, was, he was there. And once we ended up uh, terminating pursuit, uh, he gave me a high rating. He said, I like the way you, you operated the radio and at the same time, I knew the two traffic was just a dash cam blue light. But uh, the majority of my stories, funny stories, are, are from training. Uh, yeah. the, the road stories, I was a very serious guy. It's, uh, and I, I take pride to, uh, I mentioned earlier that I did write a lot of citations, but uh, every citation I wrote, I could probably go to that person's house and have dinner with them because I treated them with respect and they understood why I was doing what I was doing. So well, I take lot. pride in being able to do that. Jimmy, what about you, man? Funny stories up in the hill country of Batesville? Well, one one quick story that comes to mind, and uh, Colonel will, will uh, like this because it is training related. I was an FTO at the time, and I had a new recruit, and uh, we were going through our day-to-day business, and we had a shooting call come out there in Batesville, and well, but just but a couple of minutes, we saw the suspect vehicle quickly led into a pursuit. And I'll tell you, this young officer scared me so bad in this chase. He, I made him pull over. We actually swapped drivers in the chase. But anyway, the pursuit went on out into Panola County. Uh, the violator wrecked. You know, this was back in the days where you chased till somebody wrecked or they stopped. But I can tell you guys, I was so happy to see Panola SO and the Mississippi Highway Patrol at the end of that chase. That uh, it's just part of, you know, we all work together. You know, you think about training, you think about working together. Uh, We played hard together, we work hard together, and we took care of each other. And I'm gonna tell you, District 3 up in North Mississippi had that reputation. Uh, No matter where you work, we stuck together and worked together. Like Colonel said, we might not always agree, but we did always agree we take care of our people. And uh, whether that be on the citizen side or the law enforcement side, we work together. But, man, that day of that chase, I can vividly remember at the end of it, the Mississippi Highway Patrol and Panola. And I vividly remember back in those days in the early 90s that, of course, policing was different by today's standards. But one thing that I do remember is that, like car chases, if somebody ran from the police, I mean, it was it was Katie bar the door. I mean, if you were working, everybody manned up and everybody chased that person until we got them stopped for fear that they would either crash into someone else or or hurt a police officer or, you know, hurt themselves. But it's funny how the trend in law enforcement has changed. And from a training perspective, Thomas, you know, nowadays, a police department that doesn't have a solid written policy manual and is not, you know, pushing training constantly, they're really behind the curve. Would would you agree with that? I agree with that. And uh, I have done some expert witnessing for some agencies that um, where officers were being scrutinized for decisions that they made. Chris, I've always gone back and look at that agency's policy, and if that officer stayed within those uh, clear defined policies, I was able to uh, write an opinion to defend them. But it was only when they got outside of those policies is when I made the recommendation that they might need to go ahead and settle this outside of any type of uh, courtroom proceedings. So, uh, I agree. Policy is, is uh, was a big thing, and it should always it should remain uh, an important uh, uh, procedure that agencies. Don't you think it's kind of cool? Uh, I'm asking this to both of you guys, but isn't it kind of cool how that idea, that kind of concept, transcends not only law enforcement but in life? You know, if you stick to the book, codified body of knowledge, whether it be the Bible or a policy manual, 
your life's so much better when you stick to the rules. So I just think that that really transcends. And I know you're a spiritual guy, Jimmy. So do you agree with that line of thought? You know, I, I do, Chris, very much so. And that goes into the integrity of law enforcement. And it's just, you know, I used to tell guys at the police department, you know, own it. If you mess up, you know, mistakes happen, but own it. Uh, when you try to cover it up, that's when it's not a mistake. So you just own it, and you if somebody came in, especially when I was in the administrative level, if you called them in and there was a problem and they owned it, you could work with it. But if they tried to cover up that problem, then that wasn't a mistake. So then you had to address it differently. So um, Yeah, the cover-up is always worse. We had an incident one time where an officer came in and worked a bunch of overtime, and he got busy doing something else. So at the end of the shift, he had to have like six contacts. It was a federal overtime detail, and he created six fake people and wrote six fake warnings to these six fake people, you know. Spent all that time doing that instead of just saying, hey, you know what, I screwed up. Hey, Thomas, you said you had some funny training stories. Now, I got to hear about this. Tell me about, I know sometimes in Alabama, they would have people quit trooper school. Like, they would just get up in the middle of the night and just pack their stuff and leave. Uh, anything funny like that happen over at the Academy in Mississippi? We've had some of that happen, but one story in particular is really not a funny story, but it is. As, um, this is I was actually coordinating, and you know we have inspections in the morning, and I think they were probably in week three, so we still had the intensity going on, and I walked in the barracks, the male barracks, I had already inspected the females, so I walked over to the, the females that made it over to the male barracks, so I'm inspecting the male barracks and the females on the back back there, and they're standing together. And uh, they called the place to attention. I walk in and everybody's locked up. And I hear somebody in the back talking. I said, who's that back there talking? You know, nobody's supposed to be talking. And I said, oh, this is going to be bad. I mean, they are terrified because I'm just that loud pitch. And I said, who is it back here? And I'm yelling, sir, this recruit. There was a, a female. She was from Jackson State. She had to be in her late 40s, almost 50s at the time. And this is back in uh, 2001, 2002. And she comes up. And I said, who in the heck are you talking to? And I'm like, the, the, the class, everybody in there is just like locked up. She said, sir, I said, I need to know who you're talking to because both of you for the pay. You know, I'm just going. She said, sir, this recruit was talking to Jesus. What were you talking to Jesus about, sir? This recruit was trying to tell him to bring you some happiness in your life. And why are you so angry? I said, well, what did Jesus say? Sir, he hadn't replied yet. So I said, uh, okay, hold, on, hold on. So I told everybody, close your wall lockers up. Let's get outside and let's go to class. And they were thinking, is that it? We're not going to get punished. So they sitting there, nobody's punished and everything. So they go out and she says, sir, recruit. I can't remember her name. Request mission to speak. I said, speak. Sir, he just replied. <laughs> so, and the thing about it, Chris, is you want to laugh at moments like that, but you have to maintain that seriousness. So at that moment, I felt a sense of calmness on me. And, and, and I will tell you this here. It was at that, that point that class started praying every morning. <laughs> they wanted oh, that prayer. <laughs> that was, that's hilarious. But yes, yeah, I said, what did Jesus that was, that say? That was a spiritual said, yeah. moment of that class, huh? Yeah, definitely. Yes, <laughs> did uh, that recruit go ahead and finish school? And Oh, she graduated. She nice. graduated. Nice, yeah. nice. Uh, it, it, was, it, was, it was a good class. It was a good class, but it was um, it was a moment. We're very spiritual in our program. You know, we have the Canadians come here every year. We have uh, people from Germany coming to our program. But the Canadians came one year, and they were one the, 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 the lead. I think it was the lead. He was a lieutenant. 
He said, how do you guys get away with spirituality in your program? I said, and it was just an instant response for me. I said, sir, we're in Mississippi. We don't, we don't have that problem. And he was talking about all the challenges that they have in Canada with, you know, uh, you know, prayer and that type of thing. And I said, well, we don't push religion here on anybody. I said, but at some time and point while you're going through here, you're going to say, Lord, have mercy. And that may be the spark that summons the grace of God. I said, so, you know, we change lives here. And I said, one way or the other, you're going to find a connection with a higher power. Yeah. And I said, that's just what we do. And we go by and most people come there and believe it or not, it's at that program is where they develop a relationship with God. Well, I know I've got a really good friend who is a retired trooper in Alabama. And he told me that the very first day of trooper school is usually the worst. And he said that uh, they came out to inspect everybody's vehicles. And one of the guys showed up and had a radar detector in his vehicle. So they made him run the whole session. He was the radar detector. So he'd have to stand out in front of the group. And if they saw a trooper car, he'd have to go beep, 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 and be the radar detector for the entire time of 26 weeks. So, Brant, what do you think about You ever had an occasion to run across a state trooper? You know, I've never had, I've never been stopped for a ticket, speeding, none of that. Actually, I got stopped one time. It was the day I closed on my house, and my uh, my mother-in-law worked at the county jail here in town, and she was driving by, and she knew the officer at the time, so she got me out of my nice. ticket. So, I had, my mother-in-law made the save yeah. for me my first ticket. Yeah, long gone are the days where hey can you help a buddy out because now everything's done on laptops and it's all you know immediately sent well thomas i want to thank you for your service to the country and to the people of the great state of mississippi what's on the horizon for the tuggle family what you going to do with yourself now that you're retiring i'm gonna relax a little bit got some some projects around the house that needs uh needs some tending to they've been neglected over the years because uh, i've got to thank my wife she is uh, uh made some sacrifices because my 26 years of just being on the Howard Patrol, just the patrol itself, I spent 24 of those years at the academy and this has been my routine. Three and a half days at home, three and a half days uh, at work. Mine was more four days at work, three days at home. And she, uh, you know, she put up with that and she stuck with me, worked with me, but I made sure that I spent that good quality time when I was at home. So uh, I'm gonna do some projects around the house and uh, next year, we'll be jumping into a uh, possible sheriff race up here. Oh, wow. That's interesting. I've, and that was my next question was political ambitions because you, you definitely got the personality for it. So I'm sure you'll, you will do well, very well. Are you I excited about rumor, that? But I wasn't going to bring it up. Good for you. I hadn't made an announcement, but yes, uh, by the time this come out, yeah, I would probably everybody would know. But yes, We're breaking uh, some news here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, breaking news here on the Between the Lines podcast, Thomas Tuggle running for sheriff. So, you know, you got to pick a chief deputy, too. So now that's another big pick. Yes. Chief deputy is probably as important as the sheriff. So, well, all right, guys, listen, uh, we've enjoyed having you today on Between the Lines. Thomas, congratulations on your retirement and get on that honeydew list and get all that stuff done. And I know you're going to be uh, running a campaign for too long, but thank you so much for taking the time to be on with us today, man. You are really something. Thank you. Thank you for having me, sir. Jimmy McLeod, Virtual Academy's regional director. In a hotel room. I think he's in South Carolina. He covers about nine states. Jimmy, I know you're busy. Thanks for taking the time. Hey, thank y'all. Thank you. Thank you, Colonel. Thank you, Chris. Brett, good to see you again. Indeed. I, I always enjoy just being the fly in the wall for these conversations. I learn a lot. Well, Brent is uh, he's the guy that makes things happen, and this wouldn't happen without Brent. But listen, guys, uh, and to our viewers, thank you for being here. We hope you all have a great week, great weekend. 
This is Between the Lines, brought to you by Virtual Academy. Good day.